0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We'll continue on. As we look at in the beginning, we find ourselves this morning, Genesis chapter 3, 12 through 24. I don't know about you, but I have so benefited personally from studying these words in Genesis chapter 2, 3, and 4 to hear just in the beginning, to see God's hand at work, to see where we are today, and to recognize that there is truly nothing new under the sun So many of these temptations and things that we experience in this world, you look at them that are happening today, and you see the fruit of them happening uh, since the beginning. And so I hope that it has been a fruitful time for you, no pun intended. I hope it's been a joyous, helpful, encouraging time as we've continued to look at Genesis chapter 3, and we'll do so as we continue this morning. So Genesis chapter 3, verses 12 through 24. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to pick it up, turn it on, open it up, and let's follow along together. Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly, you shall go. "'And dust you shall eat all the days of your life, "'and I'll put enmity between you and the woman "'and between your offspring and her offspring. "'He will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. "'To the woman he said, "'I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. "'In pain you shall bring forth children. "'Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, "'but he shall rule over you.'" The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man, drove out of the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray together. Lord, would you teach us? Would your word, as always, be a lamp into our feet and a light into our pathway? Would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasable, pleasing and acceptable in your sight? You are our rock and our redeemer. We give you these next few moments, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, where we've last left Adam and Eve and the serpent and God, uh, Adam and Eve and the serpent have essentially blamed one another. You recall Adam saying, The woman that you gave me, she did this to me. Eve, learning from Adam, said, The serpent did this to me. Right? They're blaming one another. And so this is where we have left Adam and Eve and God and the serpent. They're blaming one another. They've been caught. They're sinful, ashamed, and this is a the wages of sin is death type moment. You feel it? I mean, this is a pretty heavy moment. They've sinned, they've fallen short, they're naked, they're ashamed, they tried to sow fig leaves for themselves. It's not working. You could essentially, as one commentator said, this could be the end of the Bible. God made them, everything was good, they messed up, it's over. This could be it. We could have Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You and I would not even have been here. Jesus, God could have just said, this is a mess. I'm done. I made two of them, and they've already messed up this much. There's no reason to carry on. This is a mess. Let's just shuttle the whole operation and carry forward. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Here's your Bible. God certainly would have been justified in their death. After all, he told them, eat of it and you will die. They ate of it, and so surely... God would be well within his purview to destroy them, to be done with them, to smite them, to return them to the dust and be done with it. Yet, you see in your Bible that God goes looking for them. Isn't that a neat thought? That God goes looking for them. Now, you could take that one of two ways. There may be some in this room that you had parents that when they said, we're coming looking for you, that, that meant something less than positive, right? Your parents are out like bloodhounds. They're looking for you. Where are they? I know they're messing up. I'm going to find them, and I'm going I'm to mess them up, right? I'm going to light them up. I'll light those kids up, right? You, you could have had parents like that. that they were, they were, to, to say that God was looking for you, you kind of have a moment of, oh, man, I feel that. I feel that tension. Maybe because you were one of the ones that were sneaking out at night or whatnot, or you were not doing what you're supposed to. And so I have parents who are coming out looking for you. Maybe that gives you a tinge of of uncertainty and nervousness. But in this sense, God goes looking for his beloved. God goes looking for his two created, Adam and Eve. He knows right where they are. He knows what's going on. But since the the beginning, we recognize that these struggles and temptations that Adam and Eve have faced have been the same song that the serpent has been singing since the beginning. God goes looking for him. And it's there, the number one on your outline, is we see the story of redemption from and in the beginning. Even in the beginning, in the fall, redemption was begun. Even in the beginning, we see and we're able to see Jesus everywhere in the pages. we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But we see in the beginning, since the fall, since the creation, since the fall, we see the story of redemption playing out. As we read back, we can see Jesus over everything. We see Jesus in everything, over everything. And here, as we continue in Genesis chapter three, I want you to put on your Jesus glasses to see Jesus all through Genesis chapter three. Even in the fall, even in their sin, even in their struggle, even in their failure, you see the plan and the story of redemption. We talked about this all the way through the book of Mark. In the book of Mark, you saw the disciples, the apostles, over and over, they messed up. And at any point, you could have said, Jesus could have said, you guys, I'm done with you, right? I mean, seriously, guys, how many times could you mess this thing up? We're done. But over and over, Jesus extends his grace to say, come on, guys, you're gonna get this. Come on, we're we're gonna be all right, come on. Just keep coming in, just keep, keep staying close. And so this morning, let's see the story and the pages As we look back over the entirety of the Bible, you see the story of Jesus as you unfold the Old Testament. It's pointing us to Jesus. As you see the ram caught in the thicket, you're reminded of Jesus, a truer and better Adam who would one day come. And so here, let's see the story of redemption begin. And so let's pick up with letter A and the war with the enemy. Now we see that Adam has blamed Eve, Eve has blamed the serpent, and the serpent is gonna get the first of the curse from God. He's said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all livestock. The serpent has gone from most crafty to most cursed. You will be cursed above all beasts of the field and on your belly you shall go. Dust you're gonna eat. All the days of your life. And here's the part that we need to study this morning. Verse 15. I'll put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. A couple weeks ago we talked about how this serpent was a picture of the enemy and Satan. You see that through the pages of scripture that this serpent is representative. The serpent is the enemy. It's not just that we are fearful of snakes and so God and man, we're always scared of snakes and we run around nervous about snakes. No, that there's a war with the enemy. He'll put enmity, he'll put hostility. And I cannot think of a better word for God to use in this curse than hostility or enmity. That there is war between the serpent, there is war between the enemy and mankind and the offspring of Eve. Can you think of a better word than what we see and experience on a daily basis with our enemy. It's warfare, it's hostility, it's enmity. But I want you to see even in this, the beauty of redemption, even in the curse to the serpent. I want you to put yourself in the serpent's perspective that he has come down and he's gotten here into this Garden of Eden and there's maybe backstory and all sorts of things. We could try to figure out how the serpent got here, but nonetheless, the serpent is here. The enemy is here in the midst of the garden. There's two, Adam and Eve, in the perfection of the Garden of Eden. Everything is good, everything is right. They've got perfection of relationship, fullness of joy. And this serpent, devising a plan, is able to take down the only two on earth. You feel that the serpent's gotta be like, man, that was easy. That wasn't too bad. I have... Taken these two humans and they've rebelled against God. They become enemies between God because they've rebelled against him. That wasn't too bad. I've got the only two humans on the earth. Got him. What's next? You feel that this serpent's got to feel pretty good. He has destroyed the plan of God. He has made these two humans on the face of the planet enemies of their God. But even in this form, we see what God does that he's going to make enmity, not between God and man, but between God and the enemy. How sweet is that, that God has turned this curse and say, we're not going to have enemies between us and man, we're going to have enemies between you and man, serpent. And then one day, this offspring of this woman, you will bruise his heel, but he will ultimately Bruise and crush your head. You see in Genesis chapter 3, the gospel in Genesis that one day a better Adam would come and crush the head of the serpent once and for all. Isn't it nice to be able to look back on the scripture? Isn't it nice to look back on the fullness of life and see God's steady hand of faithfulness? Isn't it nice to look back in the story and know how it's going to end? Several years ago, uh, I grew up a Yankees fan. Don't hold it against me, just family thing here. So grew up a Yankees fan, and Yankees were in the playoffs a couple years ago. And they are playing on a Sunday night, and so I came to church. I recorded the Yankees game, and I made sure that every notification, every opportunity to know what happened in the Yankees game was completely cut off from my life. I was going to go home. I was going to pop some popcorn, sit on the couch, and watch the Yankees play in this, in this uh, playoff game. I mean, I was looking forward to it. Come to church, done it, going home, watched the game, didn't know who was gonna win. Popcorn has just buzzed, popcorn's just gone off. Opened it up, sat down in the chair, got an alert on my watch, so just looked down, thinking I got a text message, and it says, Yankees advance to the, the AL Divisional Series. Man, it was frustrating, but... I thought, you know what, I've done all this, I got the popcorn ready, I wanna watch the game. I knew the ending, but even watching the game, there's just this air of confidence. I mean, Yankees go down, hey, we're gonna be fine. Other team hits a home run, no worries. Go down a couple runs, no problem. Starter goes out because he's he's just messed up, no problem. Yankees got this, there's no problem. I know the end of this, I know what's gonna happen, it's gonna be okay. There's no way in Genesis chapter three that the writer, that the Old Testament would understand that there would one day be Jesus who would come, who would crush the head of this serpent. But we know, we know. There are days that it feels like the other team has hit a a couple home runs on us. There are days it feels like that we are at war and we are losing this battle. But we know the end of the story. And so what does that do but allow us to sit in our lazy boy and just eat the popcorn knowing it's going to be okay. The world is going to be okay. This is why as believers we talk about having a peace that surpasses all understanding because we know who is in control. We know who is in charge. We know that he's not left us nor forsaken us. He is with us always to the end of the age. So we walk forward in confidence because we know there is one who is coming who will crush his head. And it's not you and it's not me. So we see the gospel in Genesis, but we also understand war with the enemy. We feel with every fiber of our being as believers in this foreign and strange world that it feels at times like we are in the midst of war because we see in the curse that there is enmity, there is strife, there is hostility between the enemy and the enemy and us. And you move forward and you see letter B, you see pain in this fallen world. And you see, as we continue, as God gives this curse to both woman and to the man, there's a lot that we could unpack in all this, but you see to the woman, he says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. in childbearing and pain. You shall bring forth children. And you move forward to Adam's curse in pain. you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles that will bring forth for you. As you see, letter B, pain in a fallen world. As I see the curse that the consequence of sin, pain is a real part of our existence as believers in this fallen world. There is pain in relationships between husbands and wives There's pain in the strife of a fallen world that includes cancers and sickness and disease and earthquakes and all sorts of mess that we live in. That there is pain in this fallen world that traces all the way back to Genesis. We live in a difficult and fallen world. Romans 8, reminds us, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Don't we we feel that? That all of creation is, can you think of a better word other than groaning? The creation itself is groaning together in the pains of childbirth. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies do you feel that also as brothers and sisters we have faced trials and tribulations as friends in this congregation have faced cancers and diseases we feel the groan inwardly the pain inwardly as we walk through people through the valley of the shadow of death in this fallen world do you feel Romans 8:22 the groaning of our bodies the groaning of the world that's around us because of the fall it happened in the beginning. Friday, I did the funeral of one of my most favorite people, Miss Ernestine Henley-Teeny. She was a faithful member of Argo Baptist Church where I got the joy of pastoring and I love that lady so deeply. As a 92-year-old, her past few months have been, have been tough. As I came to the end of her funeral, as I was driving home and doing the celebration of life service, I, I couldn't help but thank the Lord that she had a lot of groaning in her last few laps around this side of heaven. But I could stand there confidently as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, knowing that she trusted in the Lord and was baptized in the creek right behind where her service took place. That there was no more groaning for her. That she had waited eagerly. She had waited eagerly for adoption as a son and daughter of the Most High and she was now enjoying, not, no longer groaning at the sight of this earth, no longer groaning in her physical body, no longer groaning over what she was seeing in this earth. She was enjoying the presence of the Lord. And whether we are young in this room or old in this room, we feel the groaning and the pain that has been with us since the exile in Eden. It's real. It's real. It's real and it hurts. There are days where it feels more acute and hurts more than others. There are days when our sorrow wells up in us more than others. There are days when the sadness and the sickness hits us like a a brick in the face and it's sorrowful to no end. There's pain in this fallen world. But even in it, let's see the nature of God's grace even in the fall. As you look back, you are reminded that Adam and Eve sowed sew, uh, fig leaves for themselves to cover up their sin. We're reminded that they covered themselves with fig leaves and that was the best they had. And So they covered themselves up in fig leaves and they began to hide from the Lord in the bushes of the trees. But it, it wasn't good enough. It, it didn't cover their nakedness well enough. So look with me in verse 21 in your Bible. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. After their curse, after they are exiled, as they're wearing these coverings that are not quite doing what they're supposed to do, in the midst of their shame, in the midst of their nakedness, God clothed them. And pick up for a moment what this means, that God has taken a garment of skin, which would indicate this is the first appearance of death onto the scene in recorded human history. That God has taken some animals and he has taken them and blood has been shed and he has taken their skins and he has covered their nakedness. You see how here in the garden, God is setting up and showing us who would be coming? One who would one day suffer on a tree, not hiding in the midst of the trees. One who would not just take fig leaves from a tree to cover himself, but would hang on a tree to take away all of our sins. Do you see the redemption, even in the book of Genesis, that one day Jesus would come to be a truer and better Adam who would, who would overcome temptation and who would hang on a tree to cover all, All of our sins with his blood was shed for us. You can see even in the first picture of God's grace that he would shed the blood of this animal and he would appropriately clothe them of their nakedness. This is precisely what Jesus has done for us where we try to cover ourselves in all sorts of fig leaves and things that do not quietly adequately cover us Jesus has hung on a tree to cover all of your sins which would lead us to where we lingered the past couple of weeks to Romans 6:23 the wages of sin is death can i remind you as we look at these verses that there is real consequence to sin I don't say that lightly, I don't say that joyfully, but I wanna remind you truthfully that there is real consequence to sin. In the same way there was consequence for Adam and Eve, all of a sudden they're ripped from the Garden of Eden, they're, they're covering themselves, the perfection of relationship between Adam and Eve and God and man is severed and broken. There's difficulty, there's pain, there is consequence to sin. And friends, I would not be your friend if I did not tell you the truth. That the Bible is crystal clear that the wages of sin is death. The crystal clarity of God's word that when we sin and when we fall short, we deserve death, eternal separation from God. There is no other thing that our sin gets us other than death. What the Bible calls sin is indeed sin. Sin and the wages of that sin is death and eternal separation but the wages of sin is death but if the story had ended there in Genesis chapter 3 then we may have had Romans 6:23 part a the wages of sin is death yeah they messed up they're dead it's over the wages of sin is death but but the free gift of god is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is the end of the story. This is Jesus dying on the cross. This is the grace that we've been given, the free gift of God. While there is consequence to sin, there is a sweeter reality of the abundance of God's grace. And to friends, this morning, as we look at the pain of the fall, as we experience the pain of the fall, as we live in the pain of the fall, as we recognize the consequence of our sin, We also look to the sweetness of our Savior. He didn't hide in the trees, but hung on the tree for you and for me. And his blood was shed to cover you of all of your sin. That all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray together, Lord. We thank you oh we thank you for your word that does not leave us questioning what the reality of our sin in this life is like you make it crystal clear for us so i pray in this room right now if there's anyone here who is struggling with their own salvation struggling with the reality of their sin and their need of a savior lord i pray that they would not leave this place with unfinished business that they would that they would make it right that they would leave this place knowing that they know that they know that if they close their eyes on this side of heaven, that they would be with you for an eternity. Lord, we recognize that we need you desperately, that there's not a thousand ways, there's not two ways, there is one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. We thank you for your grace that is sufficient and that covers us. So Lord, we look to you as the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.